Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. We're here in the Kintech studio. This hour of Canuck Central is brought to you by Brevo. Brevo provides convenient cloud-based access control systems from your mobile device for any industry. Go to lp.brevo.com slash Canada for a smart demonstration. Uh, we, apparently, we got some clarification on uh, the dog days, Sat. Oh, yes, we did. Uh, from Vicky McDonald. It says, hey, you and Dan vamping about dog days. It refers to the position of the dog star as viewed from the northern hemisphere which happens in august which also corresponds to the hottest days of summer it's about astronomy <laughs> which i said well we learn new things every day yes. thank you very much and thank you for enlightening us all right from now on i will not use the dog days of the national hockey league season uh because th- there is no such thing as the dog days of summer because it's uh, an astronomy thing. Yeah, pardon uh, pardon uh, my flippancy, uh, me being too flippant about this. Uh, maybe our next guest, uh, he is our triple threat, but maybe he can be a quadruple threat, an astronomer expert as well. Uh, it's Ian McIntyre. You hear him on radio, you watch him on television, and you read his great work at sportsnet.ca digitally. Uh, do, uh, do you, did you know that the dog days of summer were like a, a, an astronomy thing, or is, is that just me that didn't know that? Uh, didn't know, don't care. <laughs> we'll still call uh, winter in the National Hockey League on road trips to Columbus, Detroit, <laughs> Buffalo in February. I will still call those the dog days of winter. Mm-hmm. See, that's the problem with journalism nowadays. Can't trust anything. <laughs> it is. It is. Like I'm going. I'm going through. Don't get me started on a rant. I, I've I've been going through this. This Horvat stuff, like it's a forensic audit. <laughs> what he said to whom and oh, when. Oh my goodness! And most of it is just utter nonsense. You know this this debate about oh, does he deserve to be booed or cheer? I mean, people will boo if they want to boo, but oh my goodness, sometimes sometimes the ro- the paths we go down in the media. Eh? At it, least it, it fills it fills programming though. It gives. <laughs> Gives guys questions to ask. Uh, people people love talking about it, the boo versus cheer thing. When a guy comes back to their home barn, I just yeah, it's it's always a thing. No matter what city you're in, it it just it's a conversation all the time. But the conversation we were having on Bo earlier is like, I don't know if we really all expected it to work out as well as it has for for Vancouver. But reality is, you know, Bo got the contract he was seeking, and the Canucks, you know, were able to use the assets and the cap space that they got from the Bo Horvat trade to get the right shot defenseman they so sorely needed. And it's, it's worked a peach for Vancouver and their build and where they are this year. Well, I mean, look, uh, Philip Ronick has, has been, you know, the, the fab four have been the fab four for the mm-hmm. Canucks, right? They're, they're stars. And, and they've almost everyone through the lineup has been good. Brock Besser, the more you watch him, the more you see how he's transformed his game and what he does now when he's not trying to score goals but Philip Ronick has just been outstanding for this team and, and has been getting better. I mean, the, other than the blip on Saturday that everybody had, you know, he's better now than he was at the start of the year. And statistically he's been dominant uh, all along. So it, it's not, it's not a trade that for a second anyone would reverse, but I would say it has at least in year one aged, uh, better than than most people thought because you know the key the key acquisition in that deal was supposed to be uh, supposed to be aturati mm-hmm. even though we were going to have to wait and and he may still he may still be the key acquisition in the deal we'll see we'll see how the 
the contract negotiations go uh, for Philip Ronick after this season. Right. But uh, short term and, and what they've gotten, um, and, and maybe these are maybe these are. I shouldn't be talking about Ronick in the same in the same uh, in the context of the Horvat trade because, of course, he wasn't technically part of that trade, but mm-hmm. they used uh, they used an asset to get him. Uh, mm-hmm. But I just think that in totality, this has worked out uh, better than than anybody thought for the Canucks. And in, at the end of the day, it's important to remember this as well: the Horvat trade was driven by the salary cap. This wasn't a guy that the team just decided, well, we got to get rid of, we can't win with them. They they literally could afford either J.T. Miller mm-hmm. or Bo Horvat, and they they prioritized J.T. Miller, and that looks that looks great as well, but. You know, having Ronick on this team with Quinn Hughes, and I believe Ronick is 26 years old, and he's not going to be a UFA this summer, but I do think the contract is maybe a bit of an ordeal to get negotiated. Um, it, it's just worked out to, to be a very good trade for Vancouver. And uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, a lot of people were screaming about the Ronick trade as well. So... Yeah, myself included. I like I I, uh, I just didn't love the timing of it, and um, you know, obviously it's it's worked so well, and, and to see with the Canucks where they're at now, it's it's hard to to not like you know everything yeah. that it's brought to this team. Yeah, well, as long as you concede that, then, yeah, then you're ahead. Of, then you're ahead of most people <laughs> if, if you can actually concede it. And and as far as the trade, like I I didn't cheer the trade. Uh, I I didn't. Um, bludgeon the trade as a lot of people did but i i said at the time and wrote at the time it it feels it felt like a lot to give up uh like i had no problem with the canucks identifying a youngish certainly mid-career-ish right shot defenseman that they think can be part of their core and then going out and getting them mm-hmm. but it, it felt at the time that the, the mid first round pick plus a high second was was a lot to give up but right now it looks like a bargain and you know the reality is if you want a top four defenseman or a guy that maybe is a number two slash three like more than a number four especially on the right side if you look at the trades they usually cost a first round pick and multiple other assets whether it's a prospect and a later pick or a second round pick or second and something else like we've seen that happen in the past but the reality just comes down to did you bet on the right player and it's funny that we talk about these things I think everybody agreed the team had to address the right side of the defense and they acquired a player who at the time was 25 years old but there's always this element of well, I wouldn't do it that way. You know, it's more like, well, I would have preferred to see it this way. And that's why, you know, it's always interesting to see how things kind of develop over time because it did kind of come out of nowhere, Philip Peronik, in terms of him being available and people not, not viewing that type of trade as being a possibility. People were fixated on a prospect. Remember, Braden Schneider's name was always around the Rangers and whether they were interested in JT or not, would they give him up? People were expecting a prospect to come through and not, not a ready-made 25-year-old who can play at a high level. Yeah, and, and I think it it also depends on on the specific position, and and how much of a need there is. And and as you point out, Sat, I mean the right side of their defense had been a, a critical weakness for them for for a number of years. I mean, and and in the context of then what does that player cost to fill that need? Look at what Tampa paid for Tanner Janot. 
which I think was insane. I'll just, I do (laughs) think it was insane, but you know, they, they wanted a specific guy for a specific role and that's, and that's what they were, were willing to pay. And I know having just been to Tampa last month, they're happy with, with it, even though the playoffs for them was, was short and certainly short by their franchise standards. They, they like Janot and they think in the long term they, they got the guy that they really needed. So, you know, when, when teams have a player that they think is going to make uh, a big difference and, and f- fill a need that the organization deems as critical, then, then you're going to pay a, a premium. But re- certainly right now, in, in hindsight, a first and a fairly high second feels like a bargain to get a player that's doing what Hironic has done to this point for the Canucks. Now the the other part that's uh, sort of allowed uh, the market to to move on from from Bo Horvat and the captain getting traded is JT Miller taking over as the second line center and and playing as well as he has not only offensively which we've we've always seen him do uh, IMac but you know he's been as good a matchup center as as we've seen in Vancouver for for a long time and one of the better ones around the league considering the heavy load he takes against every team's top line every single night. Well, he's probably the best matchup center since Ryan Kessler and and we've we've made that comparison in the past not just because of uh the deployment and their impact on the ice but also the personality as and the emotions and the divisiveness sometimes of those players. Um, you know, and, you know, Todd Bertuzzi certainly was never seen as, as a guy you would match up as a silky kind of, as a silky kind of player, but he, he was similar as well in that, you know, emotions would, would hit, would run over. And we, and especially in Bertuzzi's case, um, I, I think what Miller is doing is, is incredible, but you know, a lot of what we're seeing is incredible. I'd, I'd mentioned, you know Brock uh, a minute ago and and his transformation. I wasn't sure he could even play for Rick Tockett because and not that Brock wasn't still going to be a very good NHL player, but for what the kind of player that Tockett uh, admires, you know, for all that he talked about, guys who win battles and are strong on the boards and get to loose pucks and you know play inside were those things that you would have associated with Brock Besser? You know, no, but Besser, to his credit, has has transformed his game. J.T. Miller, uh, the guy whose focus at times seemed to waver from shift to shift, has been absolutely locked in all season. And the one time he fell off the wagon with the two the two bad penalties, he got benched for one one power play shift and one even strength shift and then started the third period and scored a big goal. So, you know, he is, he's been, it's incredible what he's done. It's incredible what Thatcher Demko has done coming off the season that he had, which last year began uh, after a surgery and then included a major, major injury in the middle of the season. Look at what he's doing now. Look at what, say, the bottom four or five defensemen, so everyone but Ronick and Quinn Hughes, are doing as a group that was supposed to be uh, the the great shortcoming on this team. And maybe it will still prove to be that way, especially if there are 
if there are injuries. But, mm-hmm. you know, in that group, Ian Cole has played, I think, better than anybody thought. Tyler Myers not only looks like a an NHL defenseman again, looks like a fairly reliable NHL defenseman, a guy who plays in the middle of your blue line and not just at the bottom of it. And, you know, you can you can look at, you know, other areas as well. It just so much has gone right for the team. It's hard to it's hard to find fault with anyone right now. Yeah, there really is. I mean, the coach is still kind of quibbling with something he seems from Hoaglander here and there. And, and that's fair, but we're literally talking about holding guys who are the 12, 13 forwards who are extremely high standard, right? I mean, that's where they are because of the competition on the roster. Yeah, and, and you know what? To, to some extent, uh, on every team, no matter how good or bad, you're always talking about those guys at the bottom of the roster yeah. because they're the ones who get changed. Mm-hmm. I've, always, I've always found it ironic. It, that in the NHL, and it's this way in all pro sports as well. Like, you know, you lose it, you lose a big game or something goes wrong. Who are you going to change? Well, let's take out the guy who played the least, yeah, because <laughs> yeah. that's going to make us so much better. We're not going to. It's not going to be these guys who play 20 minutes or 22 minutes on the first power play or they're on the ice at the start of a period and the end of a game. Let's change the guys on mm-hmm. the fourth line. But, yeah. but you know, that's. That's how it is, and you know I'm not saying that it's that it's unjust. It's just it feels uh, like not unjust to Hoaglander to bring him out of the lineup, but it just feels a little silly sometimes. These are these are the changes that happen when a team is when a team is is losing. So there's always going to be that discussion with guys, and you can always you know I, I think probably Kuzmenko could be a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, I but I think even in the first few games and in some games Elias Pettersson could be a little bit better because that's how good Elias Pettersson is you know he is world-class and so some nights if he's only all-star class but not world-class you can say well well you know he has another level than that so there's there's always things but the collective of of this group and what what Talkett has been able to do in getting this buy-in from everyone but especially the top players because that's that's what makes the difference when, when you have your best players, and this is how Tampa won two Stanley cups. When you have your best players working as hard and doing all this, all the other things, including, you know, blocking shots and back checking and winning puck battles. I mean, watch how Steve Stamkos plays now versus how he played earlier in his mm-hmm. career. When you have your top players doing that, that sets the culture for, for everybody else that sets the standard for everybody else. And the great failings, the great failing of the organization before Talkett took over is that there was this double standard that the top players seemed to be able to do certain things and get away with certain things. And then other guys in, in the bottom two thirds of the lineup, and certainly everyone coming into the organization as a prospect or, or trying to get a foothold in the NHL and make the team was told, oh, no, no, you, got, you can't do what they do. Just do this. Mm-hmm. This is what we need from you. And don't worry if they don't do it because, you know, they're special. You know, generally teams don't succeed if you have that. So to me, a ton of credit to talk it, but a, a ton of credit to the guys that, that we've been talking about at the top of the lineup, the, the Quinn Hughes and the Elias Pettersons and the JT Millers for, for completely uh, buying in to this idea 
and then and then walking the walk as well, like actually doing it on the ice night after night after night. Well, and, and also to, to you mentioned the benefactors of the the move happening, and I think the the void that Bo left as the captain. Quinn Hughes has stepped into, and he's fulfilled it perfectly so far. And in some ways, when you're trying to change the culture of the team, and I know they didn't go into the same, we have to trade Bo, but part of it becomes, well, now you're going to have to really change the leadership group. Now it's going to have to be a new dynamic with the leaders, a new dynamic with the culture. And the way that Quinn step in, stepped into that, and the way it seems like he's holding himself and the team accountable too, and as part of that nature, it's, I think that's also been something that, it may have worked better than they had imagined in terms of resetting that leadership and culture to, to the level they wanted it to be at. Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree with that. I think, you know, Quinn, it's been, it's been obviously an adjustment for him being, being captain and the obligations that that carries in a market of like Vancouver. And at times you can even see the strain of that, even though the team's 11, three and one, but it, it's tough you know, every game having to go out every practice and speak and represent the organization. And Hughes has done it for one month and it's been the most successful month since Canucks won president's trophies. You know, Bo Horvat did it for three and a half years at, at in some of the darkest, most disappointing and turbulent years in, in franchise history. So, you know, what Quinn has to do right now to me, at least as far as the, the, the kind of overt leadership, you know, speaking to the media, being out front, representing the organization, it's, it's so much easier when, when you're doing it in a, an environment where there's success than when you're doing it constantly in an environment that feels desperate and in crisis. And so it, for, for Quinn's sake, I, I, I'm positive that it's helped this transition for him, that there has been so much, so much team success. But as far as what he's doing on the ice, I mean, he's at an, he's at another level. We all, we all recognize that, but it, I think we also recognize now, even if some people in the East do not, how good he, he has been since he arrived. And yeah, there's some ups and downs and yeah, there's seasons where, he was better defensively than, than others, but for the most part, his body of work speaks for itself. You know, when you see a stat like, you know, he's the first player since Bobby Orr to be, and I'm trying to get this right now, I believe 16 points, no, 20 points and plus 16 in his first dozen games of the season. The first player since Bobby Orr. And the or first defenseman, and the second, which makes him the second player who's ever done it, because nobody did it before Bobby Orr. Uh, it, it's pretty incredible what Hughes is is doing on the ice. That part doesn't surprise me though, because I, I I knew he was this good. We all knew he could be this good, um, but to do it while also taking on the burden of being the captain and what that entails, uh, that makes it even more impressive that he's playing this well. It would be hard enough if all he had to do was worry about himself and his game and do what he's doing, but the fact he has to come out every night, talk to us, talk to the fans, because that's really what we're there for, is to be the conduit between the organization and its fan base, uh, I think is incredibly impressive. 
Uh, we heard uh, from Patrick Alvin today, spoke at uh, the GM meetings in uh, in Toronto and was asked about negotiations with Elias Patterson. Uh, he said they are uh, chipping away at it. And this is, uh, you know, kind of just uh, in your last answer, mentioning just how the environment has so much changed in Vancouver and it's all positive right now. I mean, that can only spell good things for getting Elias Pettersson locked in long term with the Canucks. Yeah, uh, and we talked about this before the season, and I really maintain that that Pettersson's decision not to pursue the extension in the summer, or at least cease the pursuit of it at some point in the summer after they weren't getting very far, really wasn't about money and and. You know, as it turns out, he's now going to make a lot of more, a lot more money because he did that. But I think it was, it, it was, and is, and has always been about his competitive nature and wanting to know that this organization is actually going to provide the possibility of success for him and a chance to play for a Stanley Cup and. No, when you're eleven three and one, that that chance seems a lot closer than than what it did a month ago. But I think it's it's more this big picture viewing, and whether the Canucks were really truly headed in a new direction and a better direction than what Pedersen had experienced for most of his five years here. And I think it's pretty obvious that that, that that's the case. But still, going to take an awful lot of money to sign him. But I, I don't have much doubt that Pedersen wants to be here unless there's unless there's something else going on that none of us are aware aware of. Uh, I just don't see any way that he's not going to be a Vancouver Canuck. Uh, before we let you go, IMAC, a very uh, ultra super serious question: uh, Do you think they'll boo or cheer Bo Horvat tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> the people who want to boo will always boo, Dan. If you go through life. Looking to be insulted, you shall not be disappointed because you can you can find it anywhere anywhere you like. I, I think Bo Horvat was a tremendous player for this organization. I think more than that, he was a tremendous servant uh, to this organization, and I think he always always conducted himself with with class and dignity and thoughtfulness and honesty during some of the darkest years that this franchise has had and i hope that uh, i hope that he does get cheered loudly i suspect some people will boo i don't think it'll i don't think it will bother Bo all that much uh i'm we appreciate the time as always thanks for this what what will you be doing tomorrow night dan i'm gonna be at the rink yeah no, no cheering in the press box <laughs> no cheering or booing in the press box we, we'll no be doing cheering. none of that no, none of, I'll be eating none popcorn is what I'll be doing. So, <laughs> good for you. I'll be working. <laughs> yes, I know that. I mean, you're always dug into into the laptop, getting uh, getting the story ready. Uh, trying to, anyways. We'll be uh, we'll be uh, waiting for your latest at Sportsnet.ca. Thanks for this. All right, guys. Thanks for having me on. Uh, there he is, the great Ian McIntyre, the triple threat on digital, on radio, and on television. It's Ian McIntyre. Uh, so yes, the story of tomorrow, it will be told over the next number of hours, everybody having their conversations about cheering or booing Bo Horvat. We'll see ultimately what happens. I just by 
gauging the reaction on the text box and on Twitter, I still feel there will be a majority of cheers rather than boos for Bo Horvat. I would imagine so as well. I'm not expecting uh, a chorus of boos. Now, there might no. be a little some smack. It's not going to be like Duncan stuff. Keith or anything like that. No, no, it'll be fine. Yeah. That's what that's what or I Ryan Kessler for all the years after Kessler left Vancouver. Yeah. Nothing nothing like that for Bo Horvat. No. Uh, it's Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. Coming up, we will talk about those Vancouver Giants. They're getting ready to play tonight against Prince George. And we'll get more in on your Vancouver Canucks, what Yannick Hansen had to say about Bo Horvat returning to Vancouver. That's coming up next on Sports at 650. Talking all Canucks all the time. It's Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.